You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. I'm reading today from Matthew 10, 16 through 25. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? The word of the Lord. Be to God. You may be seated. All right, let's pray as we get ready to receive this together. Father, as we hear of these pretty intense, weighty words from Jesus, I confess, I'm guessing many of us would confess that they feel a little distant. They feel a little removed from our everyday experiences. Help us, God, to see not only that that experiencing hatred for your name's sake is persecution, but that it is a time for us to receive the joy of being hated in your name. Help us to receive that news today. And we, we confess that our hearts are not really easily receptive to that kind of news. So help soften our hearts and change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, pretty much any time I've spoken with a person about what it's like to tell someone else about their faith, uh, there's this kind of shared feeling from one conversation to the next. It seems like people are kind of walking on eggshells when they think about that. Like, what can I do to to be just delicate enough to not offend anyone? And I should say, as we get started here today, that we certainly should not be people who offend others unnecessarily. But what I'd like to propose to you is that Jesus himself is offensive. Uh, We talked about this just a couple of weeks ago, that he's polarizing, right? Right? And, and bearing witness about him, therefore, is offensive. 
And when someone sees him in us, they're likely to either be attracted to him or repulsed by him. And so even if we seek to be thoughtful and even if we seek to be kind, there's a decent chance that we are going to encounter persecution. In fact, we're promised it. I wonder, where have you encountered persecution? I've noticed that many Christians actually have two different ways that they see persecution that are not the way that the Bible teaches it. The first one is they think that they've never been persecuted because no one has ever beat them and they've never been you know, put in prison because of their faith. Only verbal persecution is what they've encountered. But the other way that Christians tend to see persecution is that they're totally bent out of shape because the culture is going one way, right? It's going, it's going against the grain of the morality of Scripture and so forth. And, and then they've lost all this political power in the process. And so people feel like that is persecution. While Jesus would not call the loss of political power persecution, he would say that verbal persecution is legit persecution. Let me show you how. In, in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice! Rejoice! And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says to rejoice when we are persecuted. Let that sink in for a moment. And Jesus also says that being verbally maligned is persecution when it's being verbally maligned in his name. It's not violent. It's more social. It's more uh, relational persecution. And I'm guessing that every single day in Seattle, some Christian or Christians experience this sort of persecution, especially those who are known to be Christians. And Jesus knew that this would happen. And so when he sent out his disciples into this regional missions trip here in Matthew chapter 10, he exhorted them to prepare for persecution. And as Jesus sends us out as his representatives out into the world, wherever we live, wherever we learn, wherever we work, wherever we play, he sends us out with the warning that persecution will come. Perhaps not in the same measure that he tells his disciples here, perhaps not in the same ways that his disciples are experiencing it, but we can expect to encounter resistance and opposition to the message about him. So he's going to equip us today for how to handle persecution. And if I could just sum it up, the short version is, when persecution comes, be like Jesus. That's, that's what he says throughout this time. He's going to break it down, though, or I'm going to break it down into four different chunks for how to handle persecution. The first one is with care and with character. In verse 16, he said, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This phrase, I am sending you, gives us the context for what he's talking about. Jesus is sending out his 12 disciples. He's the one, these are the ones who he just gave authority to in chapter 10, verse 1, and he told them there that they'd be able to heal the sick, 
that they would be able to raise the dead, they'd be able to cleanse lepers, they'd be able to cast out demons, they'd be able to proclaim the gospel, all of this really exciting stuff. You can imagine the disciples just getting lit up as they're hearing all these wonderful things that are going to happen as they're sent out. But we remember that there are four episodes in this series in, in, in Matthew chapter 10. We're going to cover this four different weeks. And this week is actually the sequel from last week. And if you were here last week, you might remember that Jesus quickly moved on from all of that exciting stuff, all that vision, to giving warnings. And the reason that he's commissioning them uh, the, the reason for the warnings is that he's commissioning them to do the very things that he did. And what happened when he did it? He was either persecuted or people believed. And so while these instructions that we're going to read are really about them, they, they do apply to us. Think about this for a minute. It says that he's sending them out like sheeps in the midst, sheep in the midst of wolves. We are sheep. We are vulnerable in a hostile society. And as sheep in the midst of wolves, we want to be like, like these disciples would have wanted. We want to depend on the good shepherd, on Jesus himself. But yet our vulnerable position also requires us to have discernment, a discerning approach to how we share our faith. He says that we need to act like serpents and like doves, not you know, slithering around and flapping our wings, but, but wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He's saying that people are going to be against you, so you can't go around just pretending like everything's going to be peachy. You need care. You need character. So having care, being wise as serpents, it reminds us not to be naive when it comes to how people might treat us. But having character, being innocent as doves, reminds us that behaving inconsistently with the message that we are sharing not only ruins our credibility, but more importantly, it damages Jesus' reputation. And so we don't want to be jerks for Jesus, amen? Amen? Okay, okay. We don't want to be jerks for Jesus. We also don't want to be idiots for Jesus, though, right? And what he's about to say gives breadth to that as this warning continues. How to handle persecution, he says, witness with words. Beware of men, that's probably just humans, just people, although we do know that men tend to be more violent than women. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Those are uh, non-Jews. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Now, if you keep turning the pages of Matthew and you keep looking as far as I've found, you will not see these words of Jesus fulfilled anywhere. The disciples don't do this. This does not happen to them. In fact, nowhere in the Gospels that I've found are the disciples treated in the way that Jesus just said. So what is he talking about? What's the deal? Well, I think these are prophecies and predictions of something that would come much later. 
And the clue is that he says that the Holy Spirit would speak through them. So the Holy Spirit isn't given until the day of Pentecost. And so that doesn't happen until the opening pages of the book of Acts. And so uh, we might ask the question, are the words of Jesus fulfilled there? If they're, if they're not fulfilled in the Gospels, are they fulfilled in the, in the book of Acts? And the answer is, yeah, yeah. All of this stuff comes true. All of it. You, if you read Acts, you could see it all over the place. It happens to all the apostles. It happens to even the apostle Paul. He's dragged before kings. He's dragged before Caesar, even. But I'll just give you a quick example, since we're not going to do an entire survey of the book of Acts <laughs> right now. Here's just one quick example. Early on in, in chapter 4, it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and the elders. Peter here is filled with the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus said he would be. And he's before the rulers of the people and the elders. These are the Jewish leaders, although later he goes to other leaders. And he's basically on trial here for preaching the gospel. And, and, and then now, Peter and John, who are there with them, they go and they preach the gospel to these Jewish rulers while they're on trial, which is a great great scene. You just got to love that. These people are on trial for preaching the gospel, and they preach the gospel to the people who are putting them on trial. And later on in, in chapter 4, this is how the group responds. These leaders respond. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So Peter and John are so bold that they recognize that Something is unique here. Some, they're, they're astonished. They're taken back. They're like, hold on, I thought these guys were just Galilean fishermen. How are they so bold before this group? And, and they recognize, oh, it's because of Jesus. They've been with Jesus. They see Jesus in these men. And the result at the end of all of that, Peter and John are released, and they go gather back together with the church there. And when they prayed, this is together with the church, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So this powerful cycle that is more or less what Jesus is promising is going to happen, happens all throughout the book of Acts, this, this cycle. The apostles witness with words. They're persecuted. They pray. They're filled with the Spirit, and the cycle continues. They, they go back. They, they go and witness with words. They're persecuted. They pray. They're filled with the Spirit. They witness with words. It just keeps on going. And you might have heard that, uh, that famous saying, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Anybody heard that? It's St. Francis of Assisi, according to a lot of people. I don't, I don't think it's actually him. Uh, and it sounds really good at first. It's like, man, don't we want our works to look like the gospel has transformed us? Don't we want to act like Christians? Don't we want to serve the poor and, and help those in need? Don't we want to just be gospel people in all of our lives? Amen. Yes, absolutely. But the flaw here is, it says, if necessary, use words, neglecting the fact that the gospel is is words. The gospel is a proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus tells them to go and witness, bear witness. 
I wonder how God has worked in your life. I wonder how the gospel has touched you. Do you bear witness? Do you, do you tell people about how it's affected your life? That's what Jesus is inviting. And, and honestly, I think that's why this warning that he gives in Matthew, if we want to pop back there real quick, uh, go back to the last slide if you could. Yeah, th- this warning that he gives is actually encouraging. I don't know if you, if you pick up on that, but it's encouraging because we see how it bore fruit in the lives of the apostles. And just as those apostles were filled with the Spirit in these moments of persecution, they spoke boldly. We, in the same way, we don't need to worry. Just like Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about persecution. Yes, be wise as serpents, but don't be anxious. Next, Jesus equips us. He says, how to handle persecution is to endure hatred. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. It's important that if Christians are hated, we're hated for the right reasons, right? We don't want to be jerks for Jesus. I'll say it again, amen? We, don't, we want to be hated because people hate Jesus in us. And in this case, Jesus is telling his disciples that they will be hated, hated by all for his name's sake. That's the right reason. That's the right reason. He tells them, he says, you might even be hated by your own family. Brothers and sisters will deliver you over to death. Fathers, their children, children, their parents, right? And, and this might sound to us melodramatic. There is a certain degree of um, hyperbole that Jesus uses where he says hated by all. Surely not every single person, but he means by so many people. That's why he's using that hyperbole there. But, but brothers delivering brothers over to death and so on and so forth, this sounds kind of melodramatic, but it's true. It's true. This has proven true, certainly throughout church history, but this is even going on today, friends. I don't know if you're aware, but just go ask a Christian in Myanmar. Go ask a Christian in Bangladesh or in Somalia or in Eritrea. People... Uh, who become Christians find themselves subject to betrayal from their families. Some, even today, face horrific, violent persecution. So we might ask ourselves, why would someone subject themselves to this? Why would someone willingly enter into a faith that's going to cause those who they love and who love them to push them out or to even give them up for, for death. The exchange is worth it. That's why. The exchange is worth it. When you become a Christian, you exchange families. You exchange the temporal family for the eternal family. When you become a Christian, you exchange 
the earthly family for the spiritual family. As Christians, we belong to God's household, to his family. We have a new father, a perfect, good, and loving father. And while we as Christians in the West may never be delivered over to death, Lord willing, though perhaps our kids or grandkids might, some people are hypothesizing that, but we might, we might get put in a place of shame today. Might even be passively, aggressively, amen, in Seattle, passively, aggressively pushed out from your family, pushed out from your friends, pushed out from your roommates, your neighbors, your coworkers. I know some of you guys have gone through that. I've talked to you. I've experienced this. Years ago, I had a close friend who, he, he was my roommate, he was my bandmate, I toured the country with him a few times. We were very close, and he had moved down to Portland. I went down to visit him, we got some breakfast one morning, and I thought it was fine, we're kind of just having a normal breakfast, kind of small talk conversation, seeing what's going on. We go for a little walk afterward, and he proceeds to tell me about how angry he was that I was a Christian, how angry he was that I led some of his friends to the Lord. I should have seen it coming the first time that I jammed with the guy. He, we finished playing music, and he knew that I was a Christian. He said, I think you should be in this band with us, but you just you, you can't uh, try and you know, proselytize us. Is that okay? Can you be in this band and not try and make us Christians? <laughs> so, so this guy was obviously hostile from day one. But I did not see this coming. I mean, he was very angry with me in this conversation. And as we were concluding the conversation, I, you know, gave him a hug, said, man, that's a good time. We should do this again sometime soon. You know, that's kind of how you end a conversation like that. And he goes, no. Wow. Okay. Is that, is that your way of shunning me right now? I couldn't believe it. Some of you have experienced that maybe far, far worse. And when you endure hatred, what's the temptation? The temptation is to give up. You go, I don't want to experience this anymore. If all I have to do is give up Jesus, give up my faith, then maybe it's worth it. You start to actually deliberate. But as a Christian, as you have this commitment to Jesus, you think, well, maybe that, that's not very desirable. I don't want to give up Jesus in order to, to have this. And so, so what do we do? Well, you might just compromise your commitment to the Jesus revealed in Scripture. Maybe you start to customize Jesus because he's too offensive. Maybe think, if, if I could just finesse the truth about him, then maybe I can avoid experiencing that, that social death that I so dread. If I can just soften the edges of Jesus just a little bit, then maybe people won't be so offended by me. If I can craft a Jesus in the image of me or in the image of our culture, then maybe he'll be more winsome. Maybe I'll be more winsome. Maybe my message will be more palatable. But friends, that's not endurance. 
It's not endurance, it's escape. It's a real subtle escape. It's a gradual escape, but it's definitely not endurance. It's, it, it's not an escape like Jesus is talking about here. He's saying flee to the next town if, if you're rejected, right? This kind of escape that I'm talking about, it's more like avoidance of the truth for the sake of temporary comfort. And I think this is the bigger temptation for us as Christians today. But it's definitely not endurance. It's not endurance. You might think, okay, well, what happens if I don't endure? What did that mean? What did Jesus mean when he said, the one who endures to the end will be saved? Is he saying that if I don't endure, then I won't be saved? Anytime that we're dealing with eternal salvation, we don't want to kind of traffic in the gray areas. We really want to stick to what's absolute. And so I want to say this sounds like an absolute statement. It seems to imply that the one who doesn't endure to the end won't be saved. In other words, for those who renounce Jesus, for those who go apostate, he will renounce them. And if you read through Scripture, you'll see that that actually rings true throughout Scripture. Many, many other places. The one that came to mind immediately as I was reading this was uh, in 2 Timothy 2, where it says, if we endure, we will also reign with Him in eternity. If we deny Him, He will deny us. Very serious warning. Very serious warning, but also very serious offense. Amen? And so it seems to me that this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Can you imagine as he's saying this, you could see Judas Iscariot there, hearing Jesus tell him these words, and then later betraying him, never repenting. But you can also imagine Peter standing there. Peter hearing Jesus say this, then Peter going on to deny him, but yet going on to repent and be restored by Jesus, and then going on to spread the gospel faithfully for the rest of his life with some errors in, in the middle there, of course. And so if we look at those stories, what we see is those who turn their back on Jesus can still find hope. They can still find salvation if they repent. Some of you may be less concerned with that, less concerned with the, the salvation bit and more confused by this one that Jesus says here, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. What is he talking about here? Well, if you were here a, a few weeks ago, we were talking about this title of the Son of Man. Jesus uses it for himself more than any other title in Scripture, and he's Hearkening back to the book of Daniel, specifically here, he's echoing Daniel 7.13, where in that context, the coming of the Son of Man is not uh, coming from heaven down to earth, like we would think of that. That sounds like coming, right? We think if someone's coming, they're coming from over there to here. But the coming of the Son of Man is actually coming from earth to heaven in Daniel 7. And so this is a reference to the ascension of Jesus after his resurrection. 
And he's saying that you guys aren't going to finish this mission trip until after I have ascended. That's what he's saying. And, and, and here he's telling them, if you're rejected, if we can pop back to the last slide, if you're rejected, move on. Move on, because you got a lot of work to do. you got a lot of ground to cover. As someone in our community group uh, summarized this this week for us, they said, keep on trucking. Keep on trucking. Move on. Don't get stuck in a place where people aren't receptive, is what Jesus is telling them. He's saying, if you're, if you're uh, going to cover all of this ground, you can't just stay in a place where people are hard-hearted and, and rejecting everything. you, you got to... Uh, finish reaching the ends of Israel after I ascend. And I think that Jesus would say somewhat of the same thing to us, something similar. Not that we should give up on a place. I, I, I see a lot of Christians giving up on Seattle. And I don't want to judge anyone for their decision making, but uh, a lot of people have chosen comfort over living in a place that's harder for them in the past number of years. It concerns me. It concerns me. Jesus is not telling us, give up on Seattle. Jesus is saying that, that if you're continuing to preach the gospel to hard-hearted people and they aren't softening their hearts, we'll, we'll go to other places. There are more people to reach to. As we close with the last one, here's the summary statement Jesus gives us on how to handle persecution. When persecution comes, be like Jesus. That's this, this fourth one is basically be like Jesus. 24 and 25. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Beelzebul is another name for Satan. And they have called Jesus Satan. They've equated him with Satan, if you can believe it. We talked about this just a few weeks ago. At the end of chapter 9, the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Jesus is saying, when you become his disciple, you, you align yourself with him. He's now your teacher. Do you want him to teach you? Want him to be your teacher? He says, now I'm your master. And I know even using that word, master, if you want to go back to the last slide, master has a lot of baggage for some people today, especially those who have ancestors who are slaves. Many people have even stopped using the term master bedroom. This has so many triggering effects. I'm not trying to be insensitive in using this word, but this is the word that Jesus used, and he used it for a very different reason than someone would get triggered for. Very different reason. He used the word master to show that when you become his disciple, you surrender your whole life to his authority. And the good news is, he's not an oppressive abusive master. He's the best kind of master. He's the kind who teaches us. He's the kind who provides abundant life for us. In fact, if you associate the word master with 
oppression, it's important to remember that Jesus is the one who was oppressed. He's the one who was abused. That's what he's saying here. The all-powerful God of the universe came in love to save humanity, and we are so twisted that we called him Beelzebul, Satan incarnate. This is how he was maligned. He says, if that's how much I've been maligned, how much more will people malign you, you who are aligned with him? Jesus is saying, if you follow him, you will suffer. If you follow Jesus, you will suffer for Jesus. And that's a really bad sales pitch. Really bad sales pitch, Jesus. Need to work on this here. Who wants to sign up for that? And unfortunately, this message of signing up for suffering is, is often left out when people get an invitation to Jesus, right? I mean, myself included, I'll, I'll, I'll admit to it. Oftentimes, when we hear an invitation to give your life to Jesus, it's only highlighting the great deal that you get in the situation. And you get a great deal. You, you get to be forgiven of all your sin. You get to be cleansed. You get to find eternal life. You get the presence of God in you through his Holy Spirit. You get to share eternity with his people. Amazing, but not the whole story. Not the whole story. Those things are the reason why signing up for suffering is worth it. So why, why should a Christian willingly suffer for Jesus? Because he's worth it. Because in him we have everything that we need. We're lacking nothing. And so suffering can't ultimately take anything away from us. We've got God. Amen? Thanks, Mike. I needed that. Amen. This is probably a good time to point out again that this story, it's upside down. Here's what I mean. We want the good stuff right now, right? We want the good stuff right now. This is why credit cards exist. <laughs> Amen? Okay. It's like, it's like, give me the money now, I'll deal with the payback later. But that's the opposite of the kingdom of heaven. We get a down payment now, and we get the rest later. So we get countless benefits of being in the kingdom of heaven today. I just shared a number of them with you. But the rest is put off till later. It's actually the opposite of credit cards. And, and so we experience persecution for Jesus today, but one day, no persecution. The world will be rid of it. It will be rid of sin and suffering and disease and war and strife, and it will be as things are meant to be. But until then, this is what it means to be like Jesus. This is exactly what he went through. Jesus' life is the template for the Christian life. He was despised and rejected to the point of being crucified. And he says here, disciples will be like their teacher. We follow in his footsteps. Why? Because eternal life with him fills us with so much joy 
so much gladness that even persecution is worth it. I've been reading this book, uh, which I would recommend to you. It's called Evangelism as Exiles, and it's by Elliot Clark. Really, really easy read, short little book, and, and I couldn't help but quote him today because I feel like he, he hits the nail on the head for what we're looking at. He says, upside-down perspective. When we realize that we're foreknown like Jesus, that, that God predestined us, when we realize that, that God had us picked out before the foundation of the world, when we realize our sufferings are like his, like Jesus's, when we realize Jesus's rejection and his cross weren't a mistaken dead end, but the foreordained on-ramp to resurrection and glory, then our faith in God explodes with hope of our own future glory. And so friends, when persecution comes, and it will, be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Remember, you're in his story. And he's equipped us here to handle persecution with care and with character, with witnessing about him with our words, with enduring hatred for his name. And all of it is a joy. It's a joy. Community group instructions or whatever you want to call them. People have picked on me for calling them instructions. I'm just going to call them whatever you want to call them. <laughs> What's the hardest persecution you faced? And, what did you, and how did you respond? And then again, for our February discipline that we're going to practice together, even though probably by the time you meet, it might not be February anymore. We're going to do listen, learn, live. We'll look at the scripture for next Sunday and dig into that together. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond to God together. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to be persecuted for us. Jesus, it is gut-wrenching, confusing, convicting that you were put in league with Satan that that was the degree of persecution that you faced, that you went to the cross for us, that that was the degree of persecution that you faced. Jesus, we thank you. And we pray that you would form our lives by your life. Form us to to have cross-shaped lives that we would be able to endure persecution just as you did. We pray that you would get glory and we would get the joy In your name we ask it. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.